the core cast. Welcome to the Corecast, the official companion podcast of the RF Generation Shoot 'em Up Club. This is your family-friendly Shoot 'em Up podcast that poses the question: Who set us up the bomb? Uh, gotta love it. From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, known in other parts of the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru. And who introduced the show? Well, that would be me, addicted. And this month, I'm addicted to coffees and crystal. <laughs> That's right. Just as long as it's not crystal meth. No, it's a good type. It's a type from so- the good coffee from South America. Okay, good. Alrighty. Well, as we mentioned, rfgeneration.com, uh, where we play the Shmup Club. That is a community where you can come and and post on our forums. We have a huge database where you can uh, track your game collection, create wish lists, uh, sell and trade items. And lots of fun there. Plus, we have not only our Shmup Club, but also the monthly playthrough, uh, the regular playthrough, and then, of course, the associated uh, RF Generation Playcast podcast that goes along with that. So lots of great resources that. Plus, Addicted and I both contribute articles and stuff every month to the front page of the site. So make sure you go check it out, rfgeneration.com. And it's totally free, so please come on and give it a shot. Absolutely. Uh, I do have one minor correction that I want to make from our Gradius episode that we did last month. And that is, I I made mention that the uh, Gradius arcade game, that the monitor was vertically oriented. So instead of a 4x3 aspect ratio, it would be more like a 3x4. I double-checked that, and I was wrong about that. Scramble did it that way, but... uh, Gradius itself was horizontally oriented, so that was my my mistake. Uh, well, let's move on to the game of the month, which is Riding 5. I'd like to start with our participants of the month. Those would be, of course, you, Metal Fro, me, Addicted, the infamous Duke Togo, Pam, Gollum, Easy Racer, and Square Air. Yeah, and apparently he had some PC issues during the course of the month, so he played a little bit at the beginning of the month and then had some problems and kind of posted toward the end of the month uh, to let us know that uh, he hadn't been able to participate much, and so he's just kind of getting it going again. Well, we hope to have him back soon. Yeah. Would you like to take it away with a brief introduction of the Raiden series? Yeah. So Raiden was... Released in arcades in 1990 by Japanese developer Seibu Kaihatsu, and they created several games in the Raiden series uh, from 1990 through the late 90s. Um, Raiden, Raiden 2, uh, they did Raiden DX, which is kind of a remix of sorts of Raiden 2, add some new features and some cool stuff, and then they kind of spun that off and did the Raiden Fighters series, which includes Raiden Fighters, 
Raiden Fighters 2 and Raiden Fighters Jet. They, then they also did Viper Phase 1, which is kind of a spin-off of the Raiden series. It plays very similar to, I guess you would say, something like Raiden DX or kind of a halfway point between Raiden 2 and, say, Raiden Fighters. Would you call it a Raiden Gaiden? It is kind of a Raiden Gaiden. I like that. And uh, unfortunately... Viper Phase 1 has never seen a console release, and that's very unfortunate because it also happens to be one of my uh, favorite entries in the uh, the Raiden series, if you will. Uh, just, it's a fun game. So, But those were distributed by Tecmo in Japan and Fabtech in North America. Uh, a couple of other notable Seibu Kaihatsu games are Dead Angle and Dynamite Duke, both of which were uh, a sort of... Uh, pseudo first-person um, shooting games, arcade games, similar to something like Operation Wolf or Cabal, where you move a crosshair around the screen and shoot things. And of course, Dynamite Duke got uh, ported to the Sega Genesis and was released by Sega here in America. In the early to mid-2000s, uh, some of the original development team from Raiden left when Raiden kind of quit developing video games, they went and and uh, were swallowed up by a studio called Moss, and they bought out the rights to, or it's either they bought out the rights or they paid for the rights to continue the Raiden series, and so since then they've developed Raiden 3, 4, and now of course 5 that we're talking about here. 3 came out on the PS2, 4 came out on the 360, and 5 came out on the X1 and the PS4. Have there been any other places that they've come out? Yeah, Raiden 4 got kind of a remix, Raiden 4 Overkill, which came out on PlayStation 3 and PC later. Raiden 4 Overkill adds some additional scoring mechanics and then also adds the additional ships that were originally DLC only on the 360 version. And at some point, Raiden 3 also got a PC Steam release. Now, one of the things I really like about at least the riding series that, or the environments and the games that I played is it was really nice and fast-paced on there. You almost call it like a vertical twitch shooters with some fast bullets on there. And the music is definitely one of the highlights, especially on riding one with gallantry, one of my all-time favorites. And mine as well, which is one of the reasons why it is the intro music for the show. But uh, the Raiden series has had quite an impact. You know, it introduced originally with the first Raiden game, it was uh, two different types of power-up. Uh, a Vulcan cannon, kind of a spread shot, and then the blue laser cannon. And then with Raiden 2, they added the uh, plasma laser, the purple weapon otherwise known as the toothpaste laser. And that three power-up system has kind of been the core of the main Raiden series since that time. Uh, Raiden 2 was immensely popular in arcades, and it was everywhere in the United States. I distinctly remember uh, standing in the front area of a Walmart that my mom and I went to randomly one time, and using all the quarters that I had in my pockets to play a Raiden 2 cabinet that was standing there at the front of the store. Uh, and this must have been probably 94, 
you know, months after it was released, because I think it came out in 93, and uh, I, I just absolutely went nuts for it. And I've seen it in other places, too, but it was all over the U.S. Now, Raiden DX did get an arcade release in uh, North America, but unfortunately only saw a console release in Japan on the PlayStation. And so that is the one official Raiden entry in the series that has never been released on a console at all, uh, at least outside of Japan. And of course, Raiden in Japan is, I guess, loosely translated as Thunder and Lightning. Rai for Thunder and Den as Light or Lightning. Uh, in this release here, we're going to be talking major or about Raiden 5. Now, in February 2015, it hit the Xbox One with a worldwide release in May of 2016. The original had eight stages in the director's cut, which came in 20, September of 2017 and October of 2017. Added in the Mission 1 and 2 segments, which we'll get into in a little bit more detail, as well as local call-up play. The one big bonus that I love about this is the soundtrack that was included. I found myself warming up to the soundtrack more and more, even though the original composer had left since Raiden 4. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, this is the first game in the series uh, since the original, not to include longtime composer uh, Go Sato. So now that we start up on looking at Raiden 5 here, let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> the story on here. This, All of the Raiden stories involves crystals in some way, but as we... I jokingly referred to earlier, this is the first one to involve crystals and coffee. <clears throat> What's happening is an alien race comes down, which is sort of par for the course for most shoot 'em ups or shooters, <clears throat> if you would prefer that term. And <clears throat> they are infecting weapons, or infecting Earth's military and taking it over. And the ca there's this very staunch, very militaristic captain who's g giving you orders and support and propelling the story as it goes along and you're finding about the this shadow organization and you're dealing with pirates and every, everything that's going to stop you before these crystals can terraform the earth. The one thing that I like about this as <clears throat> the story is the way that they pepper in with the checkpoints and how well it helps reflect your play on how well you're doing. They'll say, oh, if you missed, let's say, in the first level, hey, you missed some of the ground tanks or some of the ground weapons on there, we're going to have to send in the Panzer Division or, or the Tank Division or to take care of that. It, it felt, give me a little bit more something towards shooting for or dealing with in the standard cutscene or something that would go from there. You can tell it was a freshman effort, but it was definitely something that I felt added to the game and I would like to definitely see again. Maybe a little bit less on the interference or dealing with the play space, but overall, I like the story. What, what did you like? Yeah, the story... <laughs> the story is one of those things where I, I appreciate the fact that they added it, because there are a lot of shooter games that either have no story, or there's nothing that tells you why you're flying a spaceship or an airplane or whatever and shooting down these bad guys. You know, who knows? Maybe you're the bad guy. You know, a lot of times the, the motivation for these things is never explained. Or you get a snippet on the back of the back of the box, so to speak, when you buy the game for, for the home console. 
but a lot of times, you know, this stuff is an afterthought. So I do appreciate the effort that Moss went to to actually flesh it out with a story. Um, but yeah, I, like you said, it, a freshman effort is a good way to put it because it is a little bit verbose in the way that they do it. They, they kind of belabor a lot of the points in the game, and there's a lot of, I would say, frivolous dialogue that they kind of get into. Plus, the translation to English is a little bit uh, clunky. Um, you know, I noticed in, uh, I can't remember if it's in the first stage or the second stage, but, uh, I think it's in the first stage, the female, uh, the female first officer yeah. or commander or whatever is, is talking to the captain and, and, uh, you know, they're having conversation while you're shooting down craft and things like that. And, and something, she says something to the effect of it's the captain's job to give advices and, you know, just little bits like that, that are just not super well translated and i don't know if that's if that was ufo who did that or if that was moss who translated it and put it in english before and ufo just literally published it here in uh, north america but uh, there's a there's a certain charm to that but it's not well it's not i mean it's not bad enough that it it is fun like in an all your base are belong to us kind of way it's not quite bad enough to be earnedish but at the same time it has some quirky effects there's yeah with the, the captain in the previous example the captain says something to the effect of make sure not to hit the buildings Let, yeah. and, then, <laughs> and stuff what was the, the there's another one we exchange where i think it's in level two or maybe it's at the end of level one where they're <clears throat> saying he says, well, you're a military woman. What do you think? And she says, Captain, what are you doing? It's just sort of, it's really weird. It hasn't, it hasn't quite hit the, uh, the uh, for those of you who have maybe had a chance to endure or to experience some of the TurboGrafx-16 CD games, especially uh, Final Zone, if you're familiar with how bad that voice acting is in that one. Or uh, everyone's favorite with Last Alert and Guy Kazama. Now those <laughs> ones, those ones are great. You should definitely take a look at that. And then nowhere near gets that that bad. You, these are definitely paid voice actors. The script may have not been the best, but it's definitely not B or C tier. It's a good effort. It just when something like that does crop up, it stands out because the rest of the stuff flat, at least has a good flow. Yeah, in terms of the voice acting, acting, you know, it's definitely better than uh, the games you mentioned or something like Valis 2 or Valis 3, uh, where it's all very, very corny and very deadpan delivery or or that kind of a thing. You know, it's just the dialogue can feel a little stilted at times, but it's not bad. You don't have anyone saying, let me show them some fancy action now. <laughs> no, nothing quite that uh, cringeworthy. Now, when you start the game, you're given the chance to choose three ships. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. The Azuma, which is similar to the riding craft that you played with the previous games. You have the Spirit of Dragon, which is a U.S. ship, which gives you more defense power and offensive power, but then takes away from your speed. 
or the aptly named friendship, the Moulin Rouge, which is faster but doesn't give you as much capabilities in the defense and offense areas. And there, did you? I primarily, at first, I started with the, the Spirit of Dragon, and with that, in order to give a little bit more of a chance to survival. However, the I decided to go with the Zuma due to the homing missiles that took a lot out of the popcorn enemies that were always going across in those half circle arcs across the screen. Yeah, I uh, I started with the Azuma and kept to that for a little while, then kind of bounced back and forth between that and the Spirit of Dragon. Ultimately, I I similarly I settled on the Azuma so that I could have that or those uh, homing missiles, uh, because depending on which of the weapons you choose to use during the course of the stage, those homing missiles will always help you take out the popcorn enemies a little bit faster, which helps uh, with the scoring, which we'll get into in uh, a little bit. Yeah, one of the things that should be mentioned right up front is in order to get to the best ending of the game, or at least to get to the final boss, and there, you're going to have to make sure that all three of your weapons are powered up. And if you're going to be focusing on a certain weather, such say as the prism, the laser prism, which can be a little bit hard to get used to, you're going to want to have something that's going to home in. So that way you're not just scumming the homing plasma the entire time and then you miss the ending part of the game and you don't get the good ending. Yeah, speaking of weapons, uh, we should probably detail the different weapons. There's a lot more weapon choices in Raiden 5 than in any previous game. You know, I mentioned before that the first game had just the Vulcan and the laser, and then Raiden 2 adds the plasma, and Raiden 3 changes up the plasma so that instead of kind of a homing weapon, it's more of just a laser that swings back and forth. Raiden 4 brings back the original arcing homing plasma and then gives you the option for a second type which is sort of this weird forked plasma that shoots out a forward laser and then two angled lasers and then kind of weaves back and forth as you move the ship around. I never found that one particularly effective, but in this game, all three weapon types have three variations. Why don't you tell us about the Vulcan Cannon? With the Vulcan Cannon, we start with the Spread Vulcan. And the Spread Vulcan is a standard shot that you'd see in any of the previous riding games. It's three-way, and as you power it up, its spread gets more, or I should say a wider array, more and more powerful. Those of you who have played Contra, and if you haven't, you really should, will get familiar with it. It's similar to what you get with the Spread Gun in Contra. Then, moving on, we have the Swing Vulcan which is my personal favorite out of the Vulcan Cannon area. It's similar to spread, but more powerful, and the shots aim in the general direction the ship is moving. It's almost like taking a water hose and just <clears throat> as you move it left to right is to get a general idea of what this is doing. It, the one thing that I love about this is that it's more powerful than the regular shot. So not only do you get that angle, you also get more of a powerful weapon. The last one that we have is the Moving Vulcan, and you'll have to refresh my memory on this one because I didn't use this one as much. You know, I didn't either. But going back to looking at some of the stuff, I found an, uh, a strategy deal for Raiden 5 that explained it, but didn't really get much out of it. And so, yeah, I can't really, I can't really give a very good description of it. That's okay. 
for what, what, what if you're going to be looking for to get the most out of your or if you're looking for one cc or get the most out of your ride and playthrough you want to go with the swing vulcan totally agree now with the laser weapons on here we <clears throat> which is the blue power up icons where we have the lightning laser it's your standard focus laser attack it's <clears throat> very powerful but you're not going to get much range out of it we have the charge laser which is narrower but when you hold and charge it, you can get a very nice, very wide shot laser for short burst and it'll help you take out a nice group of enemies. But my favorite in here is, a ref and this is new to Riding 5, is the reflect laser. <clears throat> Basically what you do is you take, you shoot a crystal out in front of you and then the laser goes through that and refracts. Just like, it's basically like taking a prism and then shooting a laser through it. That is great for taking out bosses or if you're dealing with large groups of enemies. In fact, in dealing with missions one and two, which we'll get to in just a little bit, it's about the only way that you're going to get through those and get those extra fairies that you need to make it through the game. What was your favorite out of those? I guess my favorite was the uh, the charge laser, which I found to be a really fun weapon to use because there's a nice kind of risk-reward balance for letting up on the fire button long enough to charge that up, especially once you've powered up two or three levels, because if you let it go long enough to charge up before you press the fire button again to to shoot the laser, you can get a wide swath that covers nearly half of the screen. It's really impressive. It's really fun to use. And one of the things that I love about it is uh, Moss did a really good job of uh, with the design of making sure that enemy bullets weren't obscured by the laser, so you can still kind of see them as they're coming at you. But also, uh, it has a cool effect where if you're shooting at a larger enemy or something that has more hit points, and you've got this wide swath, you'll hit that enemy, but the, the rest of the laser, the rest of the wide laser portion, will continue to shoot forward past that enemy. Uh, and so it'll almost look like you're hitting a wall but then some of it is still moving past. So it's pretty cool, it's very impressive, and it's a fun weapon to use. The Reflect Laser, at, you're absolutely right. It is great for bosses, and it is great for taking out some of the larger enemies that take more, more shots to take down. It gets, it's a little bit difficult to properly position the crystal because it shoots out at a specific distance from your craft, and so, you really have to practice learning how to properly point blank that thing or how to position it in different areas to maximize its effect in terms of either taking out a large group of enemies, especially things like turrets and tanks, or uh, if you know uh, there's an enemy wave oncoming, coming on one side of the screen or another, quickly moving your craft up to the top corner of the screen or whatever it is, shooting out the the reflect crystal and then backing off so that it's just taking everything out the instant it hits the screen. Those kinds of techniques are definitely something that with repeated play and practice becomes more of a high level high level technique. Yeah it's definitely something and again this this is a game that repeated playthroughs will definitely help. And one of the things I did like with it is they allowed you to play skip to and practice stages as well as bosses on there. I found that very helpful for getting strategies down. Is This is not something that you can, you can definitely quarter feed your way through, but if you really, really want to get through this, you got to get good with the, knowing all three of your weapon types, knowing them like the back of your hand, and getting good with knowing where the enemies are going to be coming out. 
Exactly. Now, moving on to my favorite weapon section, the purple people eater, or the basically the plasma weapon. The first one, the Ben Plasma, is pretty neat. It's similar to the Raiden 2 Plasma Laser, which is affectionately known as everyone's favorite, the Toothpaste Laser. And fires out from your craft, as you would imagine with the name, squirts out like a tooth toothpaste, or swings left and right as you move. As soon as it hits its target, it's going to arc out in varying directions, depending upon how you're moving and seeking additional targets in order to get a chain reaction. It's pretty neat. I love how it works in Raiden 3. It's one of my favorite weapons there. But with Raiden 5, I prefer another one. We'll get to that in just a second. This one, The next one's called the Catch Plasma. And when the fire buttons held down, a short beam extends from your vessel. And the enemies are in its trajectory. The laser will jump out or almost... It's almost like um, like Little Mac and punching <laughs> to connect with the target on there. That, that's my favorite one out of there because when you get that directly on enemy, you, if you're looking to get your some, you get it really good at scoring on this, and you're going to hit those bigger enemies that come out on there. Especially the game will do like a wave or two of popcorn enemies, and then you get a large, a couple larger enemies. When those larger enemies come on screen. If you could get up to level three, I think it is, or four, where you have three of these punching balls all at once, or punching plasmas, you stick two of them, which will stick and constantly do damage on the bigger enemy, and then you've got the other one that goes out and hits all the popcorn enemies as they're coming out. Definitely love that weapon on there. The last one is a homing plasma, which you can really use. It's great for beginners because it allows you to basically... I think the first term for it probably would be plasma scum the enemies it just basically goes out seek and destroy homing missiles it's good but in order to really master the game you're going to have to get used to all three weapons and i love the versatility that the punching plasma or, or the catch plasma gives you what was your favorite out of these yeah definitely the catch plasma and uh credit has to go to pam from the forums for pointing that out that it looked like it was reaching out and punching the enemies and so we, that, you know, I, we've kind of just started referring to it as the punching plasma, but that is definitely my favorite because yeah, for popcorn enemies, it just sort of extends out and, and takes them out immediately. And like you said, for larger enemies, the real trick is to, is to catch one with, uh, with a catch plasma arm. And then while you're doing that, try to swing your craft around so that you can get more than one on there to take them out quickly. The homing plasma, as you mentioned, it's really good that you mentioned that is good for beginners. I, When I first started, I found that using the Azuma with the homing plasma and the Azuma's built-in homing missiles was a great way to kind of learn the stages. Uh, the homing plasma itself is not super powerful and the homing missiles themselves are not super powerful. So you're not going to get the most point bonuses for that. And of course, we'll get into scoring here in a little bit, but you're going to see enemy waves. You're going to know where stuff is and what the layout is. So you can kind of learn the level, figure out where stuff is going to come at, uh, how much is going to be thrown at you all at once so that you can really learn the stage layout. Now, in terms of more of a scoring approach, I would almost say the homing plasma would be a good complement for the Spirit of Dragon craft, because with that one's more powerful forward-firing uh, missiles, those are really good for taking out kind of those medium enemies, like those uh, big plane things that shoot out the streams of star 
things at you or the power-up ships or some of the ground tank uh, uh, placements. Some of those elements, I think you can you can kind of, I don't want to say kamikaze, but you can kind of point blank some of those with your missiles and time it right and then not have to worry about where the homing plasma is going because it's going to be going and seeking out targets no matter where you're at on the screen. And so that's kind of a nice combination, I thought, and one that I think if you practiced with it enough would be uh, fun to play with. The problem I have with the homing plasma, no matter what chip I chose, is it always seemed to be a little bit too slow so I wasn't getting the score multipliers that I was looking for as I started playing later on. Yeah, I think for homing plasma, it's probably going to be more of a survival type of thing. Or as you said, you know, great for beginners or uh, people that are looking for uh, just learning the levels and kind of getting the layouts and stuff. So they have some kind of decent offensive capabilities, but yeah, not, not necessarily focused on scoring like to move on over to some of the additional pickups and bonuses because there's a lot of weird stuff in this game and some of this is from the previous riding <clears throat> but then there, there, there's fairies there's cars there's soul towers there's a heck of a lot of stuff in here i like to start with the bombs the bombs i think the standard stock on this is six if i remember correctly yeah i think that's the maximum that you can get and that those are great for when you're st- when you've got a whole bunch of stuff that's just spreading on bullets all the time on there. And, and even in the 1cc video that was posted on the forums, <clears throat> they definitely use that a couple of times to get the keep things moving and get every, all the enemies destroyed. I've used this occasion on some of the bosses, like the uh, Area 2 boss. The, but the one area where you want to use the bombs and make sure you use it to keep your score multiplier up... It's going to be at this, I believe it's at the stage five boss when you're fighting the little, the tank or train. Oh, yes. Anything on there, you're going to definitely want to hit, shoot a bomb there to keep things moving and flowing because that thing has at least three parts to it and that can drag on a little bit. You want to make sure that you have a good constant flow of movement there. Yeah. There's what's known as metals on here. Basically, when you destroy a regular popcorn enemy, you get one or two. When you destroy some larger enemies, you you get a couple more in there, and all these do is they add to your score, but they're really nice little ways for you to get a risk-reward type scenario. Is in order to collect these, you either hold down the fire button and you keep going, or you let go of the fire button and they'll automatically come to you. Yeah, and and one thing that that I, I guess I want to mention is this is a little bit of a, a little bit of a progression in some ways from Raiden uh, Four. Uh, Raiden Four contained the traditional ground-based metals that you saw from the very first Raiden game, but then there were a handful of enemies, larger enemies typically, that when destroyed would spit out a handful of floating metals that would kind of float on by, and to some extent, if you let up on the fire button, they would kind of drift in your general direction so that you could quickly scoop them up, then that would give you additional metal bonuses at the end of the level. And and they were calculated differently. In Raiden 4, the, the ground metals would calculate by themselves, and then the floating metals would calculate by themselves at the end of the level, and you would have those different bonuses. In Raiden 5, they combine that so that all the metals are airborne, uh, and so typically ground-based enemies don't give you traditional metals. Sometimes you'll get a larger kind of star metal that you can collect that stays on the ground, but 
the vast majority of the metals are airborne. And when you let up on the fire button, they will auto-collect, as you said. And I want to say it's not quite a second and a half that you have to let go of the fire button. Right around about a second and a half to collect those. And so there's a real risk-reward kind of scenario. And also, it really encourages you to learn the level, uh, the levels and the enemy waves and layouts so that you know when the most appropriate times that you can let up on the fire button for a second and a half or two to collect all the metals uh, so that you can get as many of them as possible to make sure that that metal bonus at the end of the level is as high as you can get. One other thing that I, one thing I want to mention real quick here is when you let go of the fire button, the other thing that will keep coming towards you is any power-ups that are on the screen. So the weapon power-ups will come towards your screen, but you don't have to collect those. Those will stay on the screen while the metals will go eventually fall off the screen. Yeah, and that's that's a new thing with Raiden 5, because in all the previous Raiden games, the power-ups would eventually disappear or go away. Whereas, yeah, in Raiden 5, they just kind of keep moving around the screen, and they'll keep, they'll keep cycling between red, blue, and purple. But when you let up on the fire button and have it move toward your ship, it will stay at that power-up type until either you press the fire button again and then it'll continue on its cycle, or you finally collect it, at which point then you power up whichever weapon you're, you're grabbing. The other thing that is new in Raiden 5, specific to the power-ups, is because you're, you've got all three, they all power up independently, and so it doesn't matter if you collect, uh, let's say, five red power-ups and then you grab a blue one. Unlike in previous riding games, you're not then switching to the blue level at that level five power level. Your red Vulcan laser is still at level five, but then your laser weapon, your blue laser weapon, is then only at level two. And so you have to make sure that you kind of plan out when you're going to get certain weapons and when you're going to power those things up so that you can either do it in a more measured fashion or, you know, figure out which weapons work for which levels or which areas so then you can switch it up as you move along. Yeah, I was counting them, and I think I counted this right, but the game gives you enough to power up each one of those from level 1 to 10, and then it gives you two extra. Yeah, I think it depends on... Uh... I think there are a couple of instances in Mission 1 and 2, maybe, where you get another another power-up or two. I, I tried to keep track when I was going through the whole game, but I, I kind of lost count toward the end. But I think it does give you more than enough. It definitely gives you more than enough to power up all three weapon types to level 10. Now, one of the things that you probably are a little bit more familiar with than me is, and I hope I'm pronouncing this one right, Miklis... Yeah, Miklus or Miklus, I don't know exactly how that is. Yeah, it was the Seibu Kaihatsu mascot and has been a bonus pickup uh, since the very first Raiden game. Traditionally, in the original Raiden games, in order to collect medals, you would shoot boxes uh, and then some enemies would drop medals as well when you destroyed them, some of the larger ones. But you would shoot these boxes that would be on the ground and sometimes randomly... Uh, a box would contain a Miklus instead of just a random metal. Now, the Miklus is a is that little small blue dragon that you see where there's one per stage. 
And most of the time, the quickest way of fighting is all of your homing missiles are for some reason hitting a blank spot or they're not hitting enemies or going off into some area on the stage. That's usually how I found out about it. How about you? Yeah, the Miklus is generally hidden in the ground somewhere. And like you say, you just have to fire at that spot enough to reveal it. And then when you pick it up, it's worth 50,000 points. Now, from what I remember, the next item on our list, the fairies... They were definitely in Ride in 1, but they left the series for a little bit, didn't they? Were they not in 4? I'm trying to remember here. Uh, I, I think, yeah, fairies are in 4, but from Raiden to Raiden 4, generally the purpose of the fairy was to provide you with uh, some additional power-ups so that when you die and come back, you know, in the, in the earlier Raiden games, when your ship is destroyed and you get another another ship, your power level, whatever weapon you're on, goes back to level one, essentially. And so the fairy would drop additional uh, power-ups for you. And in the case of Raiden 4, for example, or some of the earlier games, if if you collected the fairy and you were on your last life and you died and then decided to continue, a lot of times then the fairy would pop out two or three weapon icons and then a P icon that would allow you to power up completely. So the the strategy with that would be pick up whichever weapon you're going to power up, then pick up whichever missile you want to power up, then grab the P icon so that you can fully power them up all the way. Now, uh, with Raiden 5, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is you don't have lives in Raiden 5. You have one life. So to compensate for that, instead of multiple lives, Raiden 5 has a shield. And so that's what we mentioned earlier with the three different ships. They all have different armor levels. And so your ship can take a certain number of hits depending on what weapons you're getting hit with, what enemy bullets, or colliding with enemies, things like that. And so the fairy in, in Raiden 5, instead of giving you power-up icons, actually restores a percentage of your shield. So it's a different, different functionality in Raiden 5 than in any of the previous games. It's also based upon the percentage of your shield when you collect the fairy, I believe. Oh, okay. I think that's what it is. That was a detail that I had not been able to sleuth out. That's that's good to know. I think it restores you up to the point of when you collect it, or something similar to that, something along those lines. Huh. Now, I'll have to play a little bit more in order to figure it fully out. One of the weirdest things in this game have to be those soul towers on there where you... Basically, it's a. It almost looks like the Washington Monument. At least it does to me. <laughs> yeah. As, you're, as you fly over it, and you just have to sit there, waiting for this thing to rise up from the ground, and then you shoot it, and you get thirty thousand points. I am not sure what the significance of this is here. It's sort of a neat little Easter egg, but I just found it odd. What did you think of it? So, so are you saying that you had to wait for the soul to rise from your grave? Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was an interesting new element I thought that they added. I actually discovered it randomly when I was playing the game, and then when I went online and and uh, did some more reading about it, I realized, oh, yeah, there's one of these soul towers in each stage, and you just go and hover over the thing for just a little bit. It'll uh, pull out of the ground. I, I want to say it's something like two, somewhere between two and three seconds. You really have to time it and know what's coming. 
And that's why, you know, a, a homing weapon like the plasma or the homing missiles are handy to have so that you can help ward off uh, enemies during those times when you're trying to get that thing to appear. But if you can if you can make the, the soul tower rise and then destroy it, it is worth 30,000 additional points. You know, I, this may just be in here because the Nazca lines and the Moai heads were taken by another series. <laughs> that could be. Now, the one thing which I have trouble hitting is a supercar that goes across, at least in this version in Stage 1. As it races across the screen, if you can hit it, you get 10,000 points. Right. Were you able to successfully hit this car? Almost every time. Um, but that's because I knew what, where it was coming and when, and I kind of tried to time it properly so that I could make sure to always take it out. Because uh, none of the other enemies that I'm aware of give you 10,000 points. So it's definitely one that you want to use to add to your, your point counter. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the red car, the supercar, as the game refers to it, is a bit of an homage to Raiden 2, where, if I'm not mistaken, in one of the stages in Raiden 2, there's a sequence where there's a car on the on the road that you can destroy for some bonus points. And so I, th- I want to say this is a, a, just a nice nod to the earlier, uh, earlier games that included that. Sounds like a hint that we'll be playing Raiden 2 sometime in the near future. I would certainly love that. Now, one thing that I, I have to say about this game that I found a little bit different, and I, I think I understand the reasoning because it's more, it's the first one that was developed from the ground up to be for a home console instead of the arcade. <clears throat> Is there a decision to give you, instead of ships or lives, you get one life and give you shields? Typically, you see that with Euro shooters, and you don't see it with arcade or with Japanese-developed shooters. There, what was your take on it? Did you like this change, or do you find it a little bit cumbersome and you would have rather gone with the traditional method of having ships or lives? Sure. For me, as someone who does not consider himself to be overly skilled at games in this genre, I appreciated the ability to mess up a little bit more here and there and you know have a little bit more lenience, I guess you could say. Uh, now, obviously, you can scale that with the different difficulty levels that are available to choose from. I mean, there's everything from very easy to very hard. Um, and so if you are really good at this type of game uh, and can avoid this stuff and, and, uh, and oncoming enemy bullets and fire and all of that, then, yeah, you know, definitely turn up the difficulty and the lack of lives will certainly be compensated for at some level. But... I, I appreciated having shielding rather than lives because you get to maintain the power level of your ship uh, so that, you know, a lot of older shoot-em-ups, you get really punished. Like, we, like we've said before with R-Type and Gradius and some of those earlier games. The Gradius Syndrome. Yeah, Gradius Syndrome. You power up your ship to where, you know, you're almost, uh, you're almost godlike in, in terms of the power level that you have until one stray enemy bullet or, you know, one little bit of scenery that your ship crashes into and then you get punished for your hubris, so to speak. Yeah, that's one of the things that I would definitely agree with you on. You're not going from zero to 60 and then you hit a brick wall and you got to stop and you got to start it all over again. 
it really does a nice job at keeping the flow of the action on there. You're not waiting for anything as you're going through here. That's one of the best things I like about this game and one of its biggest strengths is it always keeps the action flowing. Even as it's switching in between stuff on there, there's maybe just a second or two, and then you're right back in it. It's not going through a view, hey, okay, we need to load this, why don't, you know, let, let's have a little bit of downtime here with this section. It just has a really nice flow, and I think that at, when they went to the director's cut, adding in those extra missions to give you a little bit of a breather and a break from dealing with all the stuff that you normally go through in the missions, that was a smart play for me. How about you? Yeah, I, you know, typically going in the direction of a life um, or like a health system, so to speak, versus traditional one-hit one hit deaths in a shoot 'em up is, one could say, controversial. As you say, more of a Euro- European shoot 'em up kind of convention. But I, I find it to be better. And the, the thing about being able to not have to jump back to the game without any power-ups or anything like that really helped so that you take a hit, your ship, you know, wiggles around for just a, a, a second, and then you're right back to the action with the same power level in your weapons so that the pacing remains the same. You realize you got hit, you made the mistake, oh man, you know, now I gotta, now I gotta really buckle down and do this, but you're not put in a position where you have to overcome ridiculous odds in order to get back to where you were. You can just jump right back into the action and uh, hopefully, you know, bob and weave through the bullets and take out the enemies so you can kind of get back your flow. Yeah, how Raiden got its groove back. Exactly. One of the, the, the other additions I like into this game, it's I like the feature, I think it's a good idea, but in actual practice, or let's say it sounds good on paper, but in actual practice is a bit of a nightmare as a cheer system. It's nice for when you can actually use it, but oh my goodness, it is, it's like pop-up ads on the screen. <laughs> it's really annoying. To give, to give everybody an idea of what it is, the cheer system is a way to let other people know, hey, so-and-so did this. It's all, hey, and so did this. It's it's like a constant Facebook feed that's going on, on the left side of the screen telling you what other play, online players are doing. And the idea is that it wants you to tell people, hey, you did a good job. You destroyed, you just hit 50,000 points, or you destroyed all these enemies. And as you do, you're building what's known as a cheer meter. When you press the triangle button to activate the cheer attack, <clears throat> you end up getting more missiles, more powerful shots. You basically become super powered. Or for your anime fans, Super Saiyan, as you're going through and shoot, start shooting these enemies, it's great for when you really, really want to power through a boss or a difficult section. But most of the time when you're online, you're just going to see that thing flashing on the left-hand side of the screen. And to me, it was very annoying. What did you think of it? I have a slightly different take. I actually kind of appreciated the cheer system. I, I will agree that it is distracting, and it does kind of feel like... Uh, like pop-up ads or, you know, Facebook notifications or something like that popping up in the top left corner of the screen. What I did with the cheer system specifically was, yeah, on the on the PlayStation 4, the triangle button was your cheer button where you would, if a notification popped up and you hit that within the, the timeout period, it would send that cheer to the other player. 
The thing is, if you use the cheer attack, which is, I want to say, the square button, and it depletes that bar, that bar will refill on its own. Uh, and so, let's say you use it on a boss, and then as you're playing through the next level, if you don't interact with the cheer system at all, it will fill up on its own to where, even if it's completely depleted at the end of the last boss, by the time you get to the next boss, it should be refilled again so you can use it. However, if you cheer on other players while you're playing, every time you cheer someone else, you'll get a little bit of that bar back a little quicker. And so what I found is during a particularly active play session, uh, I could refill that cheer bar halfway through the level, use it in a difficult spot, and then typically, if there are enough cheer opportunities throughout the back half of the level, I can generally have most, if not all, of that cheer call bar full again for the boss encounter. So for me, I, I found it useful. The other thing that I did was I remapped that to the L1 button. And basically what I did is I held my controller to always keep my left index finger on the L1 button. And I didn't really pay attention to what the actual cheer opportunities were unless I was either during a scene clear screen or at the end of the level looking at the score tally and all of that. Most of the time I would just kind of watch for it and sometimes I would even just sort of instinctively just tap L1 with my left index finger while I'm doing around moving around the screen and shooting stuff and taking things down just so that if something came up and I wasn't paying attention to it, I could still kind of get those cheers um, so that I could cheer on the other players and fill that cheer call bar. Um, that allowed me the ability to use that attack more frequently, which helped tremendously in certain spots. Uh, I'm thinking particularly in uh, stage three, when you get those large uh, aircraft carrier ships or whatever they're called, that they shoot out the three kind of waves of these star projectiles at you. Then they shoot out a wave of lasers and then they shoot out another uh, three waves of these star projectiles at you. So if you know the pattern, you can avoid them or you can kind of like dodge through them. But if you're in the thick of it and you're moving around on the screen, those are a lot harder to uh, avoid. And so using the cheer attack, depending on which one it is, will take those out a lot faster so that you don't have to avoid as much of their fire. Speaking of which, there are, I think, three different types of cheer attacks. One of them is a total barrage of homing missiles that gets fired out from your craft. One of them is sort of like two waves of forward uh, firing missiles that just completely destroy everything in their path. And then the third one, which I think might be my favorite, is kind of a quasi-melee weapon, where it's these two purple, I guess you call them wands or arms almost, that shoot out from the, the sides of the ship and then just sort of wave back and forth and almost like clap together like hands or whatever. And those actually will take out some enemy bullets and like cancel enemy bullets and enemy shots. And so especially for bosses or particularly busy times in the level when you're getting assaulted by a ton of enemies and there's a bunch of bullets and lasers on screen, that particular cheer attack is very, very useful. 
Um, I wasn't able to determine which one you would get. I think it's random. Did you see any correlation in which cheer attack would happen at different times? No, for me, it was, it was just hit the button and hope for the best. It was, a, it was a dice roll. But one of the things that I really, speaking of enemy balls, that I really loved about Raiden 5 is no matter where you were on there, the game did a very good job of keeping the enemy bullet placement where it was. Because there's times, especially when in stage one, where you're going to be zipping through everything, where they could have had it where the bullets are coming on the screen, and then it's really hard to make through, as you're, especially as they're zooming in and out of where it is. You always know where the bullets are. You're not going to be caught off guard by something that's going to be, oh, it was over here, and now we turn the angle of the camera, and then the bullet's now over here, really close to you, and kills you. Right. Speaking of some of the improvement stuff I liked about the game, as I mentioned before, the I really liked that they had the story. <clears throat> I liked how it was implemented and at least shown throughout this game. It was a little bit too much intrusive in some aspects, especially as they were dealing with the music that was going through. Someone had mentioned it was like sitting on a bus and you're listening to heavy metal music or you're listening to techno music or whatever music you would prefer in your shoot 'em ups and then someone's trying to have a conversation in the back of the bus and it can make it a little bit hard to hear. So the best thing to do is probably just to turn off the voice and let it go. <clears throat> but some of the best players I've seen on this just let it go and can use it sort of as background noise it they just tune it all out there. What about you? Did you find it was a little bit too much chatter and have to turn it down or? Yeah, uh, I did. When I first played the game several months ago, uh, I found the voice acting and there's also dialogue that shows up at the top of the screen. I found the combination of those two, especially to be rather distracting. So when we played through the game for this month, I turned the volume you can independently set the volume of the voice acting. And so I just turned that all the way down to zero. And then as far as the the text that shows the dialogue between a Max, the captain, and Ashiria, I think, the, the female commander, and some of the other characters, the R2 button on the PlayStation 4 controller specifically allowed you to turn that off so that it was relegated to just the right side bar where you see their portraits and then an area below that where it was just all the text. And so I turned all that stuff off to get more of a traditional shoot-em-up experience. I kind of liken it to, there was a an early PlayStation shoot-em-up called Philosoma, or Philosoma, as uh, one of the long box titles. And that's a game I want to get to at some point, um, you know, as we're playing through these shoot-em-ups, but it's a very interesting game because, you know, you mentioned Raiden 5 with the zooming in and out, and yeah, it's an interesting thing with Raiden 5 that I think, I want to say is new in Raiden 5, where uh, sometimes you zoom way in to where your ship looks bigger and the screen area that you're dealing with is much smaller, so you've got enemies coming in and, and bullets coming at you seemingly faster because you're more zoomed in, whereas there are some areas that are way zoomed out and your ship looks a lot smaller, and so there's a lot more real estate to move around in for dodging bullets and getting enemies. What Philosoma does is it actually changes perspective. So it's a vertical shooter, it's a horizontal shooter, it's a kind of three-quarter overhead horizontal shooter where your ship is crawling the ground. 
There are times when you're flying into the screen, like Space Harrier. There are times when you're flying out of the screen, as if your ship is flying toward you, the player, as you're controlling it, and you're shooting rear cannons to shoot at something behind you. And so it's an interesting game. It doesn't quite work all the time, but one of the, one of the features of the game is it's fully voice acted. And so there's a commander uh, that's giving you orders, and you've got a squadron that's following you the whole time. And it reminded me of that, but it's been a long time since I played through it, so I may be remembering this wrong. But it seems like the voice acting in that game was a little bit more spirited, I'll say. And a bit more like they were trying to kind of give you a, a little bit of a Top Gun vibe kind of a thing where... You've got this squadron that you're commanding and you're receiving orders from, you know, a higher ranking officer and that kind of a thing. And and so it, it kind of felt like that, but slightly scaled back. In that game, it made sense because of the the approach that they were taking. In Raiden 5, I didn't think it fit quite as much. Again, I appreciate what they were doing with it, trying to implement that story and, and all of that. And I think it works great for either more casual players or people that are looking for story in their video games versus just something to challenge them so that if you're playing the game less for score or for challenge and more just to play through it, you get those elements. And so it's great that they're there. I just personally found them to be a little bit distracting. And one of the things that I know that they were trying to figure out how to do with is this, you have a vertically scrolling game but you have a horizontally orientated monitor or tv or whatever you're going to putting this on or for you uh shooting up fans on there it's a uh, you want to be using tate but you have to use yoko and so they basically what they did is they filled the left and right hand sides of the screen with stuff that they thought would be important which is where the cheer system and his pop-ups come up on the left hand side of the screen you get a, which is sort of neat, it's a graph showing you here. here's where you should be scoring, here's where you currently are to give you an idea of where, if you're going to hit these different stages. And one of the things we'll talk about in the next area is depending upon how well you score is what stage you move on to. Is each stage, with the exception of the break missions that occur after stage 3, and I believe the last one after stage 6, I'd have to yep. relook at it. <laughs> is they give you S rank, which is the best. Then there's A, B, and C, with C being the worst. So depending upon how many enemies you kill and how good your score is, you can move on to one of these stages. S will be the hardest, and C will be the easiest stages. But moving on down onto the right side, we have the radar, which I found completely useless. Yeah. And... I'm trying to remember what else was on the right side. It wasn't the bomb stock on there. No, the right side was primarily the uh, the portraits at the top of the oh, different the characters that you were interacting with. And then, yeah, the largest portion of that was just the text of the story and the dialogue as it was going through. I mean, it's definitely something that's hard to answer. How do you make something useful? Is the previous ones, like right in 3, you just get a black background or... You get something that is just a wallpaper. It's something that they've been trying to tackle for ages. You try and mix it up, but it, it just didn't quite work out and come together. And in the end, looks like a busy wallpaper. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned earlier 
that this is the first game in the Raiden series that was developed specifically for consoles. And so you don't have the advantage of having a total arcade experience that is developed for a vertically oriented monitor. And so you, you still want to maintain that vertical orientation, which is why you have that kind of tall, narrow screen area that you have for actual your actual play field. But yeah, the, the thing about the heads-up display in Raiden 5 is there's too much going on. You can't pay attention to the dialogue as it's scrolling down on the right side. The character portraits are there and, you know, it's mildly interesting to see who it is and who's talking. But I, I found the art of the character portraits themselves to be kind of amateurish. You know, I'm not sure who it was that designed it. I, I, I appreciate that it wasn't kind of stock anime look, but at the same time, it did look like it was kind of a B-team effort, if you will, as far as character portraits and, and artwork and that. I agree with you, the radar was completely useless. Now on the left side, the, the heads-up display, like you said, you've got the, the top left that had your cheer notifications, and then your score graph, and then your cheer counter, and then you also see the flash meter, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, for scoring. Uh, but then the L2 trigger you could use to switch between three different uh, segments for the heads-up display. The, the main one is what I just described. Then there's one that shows you some different... It will give you little tips and hints. And then there's another one that you can cycle to that will show you kind of a score breakdown uh, in terms of, you know, enemies... Uh, destroyed and uh, you know different percentages and things like that. My guess would be that they kind of designed that in a way so that if you pause the game or during those segments at the end of a level where you've got your score tallied and then it's waiting for you to press X to continue, that you can switch to the two other panes so that you can see, oh, here's a handy tip for me that tells me, you know, how to maybe maximize my score or or what have you. And then the other pane so I can see, oh, here's how many enemies I destroyed and here's my score breakdown and things like that. But in the in the heat of battle, so to speak, most of that is is not very useful because it's difficult to watch and keep up with. You know, I, I kind of tried to sort of glance over during short lulls in the action uh, to see how many cheers I received, uh, and then also to kind of briefly peek at the at the score graph to kind of see, you know, how well I was doing compared to the average and then also to previous attempts, because I think it, it also gra uh, graphs whatever your best attempt was, and so you can see if you're on par with with your best. Uh, and then I also tried to keep tabs on the flash meter, so I kind of, you know, saw where that was at. Yeah, it's certainly a lot to keep track of if you're trying to read all that stuff. It, it's too overwhelming. It, it's like trying to drive a car, and then all of a sudden, you know, you had a backseat driver going, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Now, moving on to the scoring mechanics on here. The best way that I found on here was to just keep replaying the stage over and over again and get used to running up into the enemy's face, destroying as fast as you can, backing off, 
and then running straight up into the enemy's face and then backing off again. How about you? Yeah, um, for popcorn enemies, if you know when certain waves are coming and you can kind of plan your weapon layout and kind of do it that way, you can generally get those enemies as soon as they come on screen to maximize the multiplier. And the way that that works is for each enemy that you destroy, there's a base point value, and that is your 1.0 or times one. As you destroy enemies, the flash meter on the left side of the screen will fill up and it's kind of a circular gauge and that can go up to a, it's called the flashpoint meter, and that can go up to a level of five. And so as you fill that up, as you destroy enemies and fill that up, when you go up to flashpoint level two, for example, then your maximum multiplier becomes uh, one higher. So you can have up to a three times multiplier versus, say, a two times multiplier at a flashpoint level one. Um, So... Uh, the best way I can think of it is at level one, if you destroy an enemy, the instant it comes on the screen, you get a two times multiplier. Every millisecond or fraction of a second that you let it go and don't destroy it, that creeps down. And so if you let it get, if you let that encroach just a little bit further down the screen, you might have a 1.7 multiplier, which means that whatever that enemy's base point value is at a 1.7 multiplier it's it's literally take that enemy's base point value times 1.7 and that's the amount of points that you score for destroying that enemy and so for popcorn enemies as long as you're all guns blazing most of the time and only letting up to grab metals when there are slight pauses between enemy waves the best way to maximize your score is to point blank larger enemies and make sure that you're destroying everything as soon as it comes on screen. So like you mentioned before, with the catch plasma, for example, if you grab an enemy with the catch plasma and you've got one one, uh, catch plasma arm on there, what you want to do is learn the layouts of the level so that when one of those larger enemies comes on screen, you can catch it with one and then quickly sweep around to catch it with more than one. Or if you've got the the swing Vulcan or the standard Vulcan or something like that, or the, or the wide laser or the prism laser, get in their face and point blank them as much as you can so that you can destroy that enemy as quickly as possible to increase the multiplier as much as you can. Uh, that is the way to score big in Raiden 5. Yeah, you want to avoid using your bombs as much as possible. I think on the 1cc playthrough, they use maybe like six or seven bombs throughout the entire playthrough. Because this, at the end of a level, it's going to be adding how much of your stock or leftover reserves of bombs you have left and multiplying those as well. Yeah, and you know, looking at, at there are multiple end stage point bonuses that you can receive. And so for every... Uh, for for your percentage of your shield that you have, you get a hundred times that percentage. So obviously, if you finish a stage with a hundred percent of your shield, you're going to get a higher bonus. Uh, you get uh, three thousand bonus points times every bomb in your stock. So again, if you have a stock of six at the end of every level, then you're going to walk away with more bonus points. You get a three hundred point bonus for every metal that you've collected. So again, there's that risk reward of knowing 
when to let up on the fire button to collect a bunch of medals without sacrificing too much of your point multiplier for popcorn enemies or larger enemies and making sure that you time those right. You get a 10,000 point bonus for whatever level your flash uh, shot meter is at or your flashpoint meter. And I'm not 100% sure if that is based on the maximum that you've achieved in the level or if it is what the end stage is. If it's based on the end stage, then in a way, I won't say it's arbitrary, but there's not a whole lot of way you can control that unless you take out an enemy very quickly because the, the flashpoint meter only goes up when you destroy an enemy. So if you're working on a boss, unless say like the first boss, you're taking out different cannons and turrets and things like that, you're not going to really increase the flashpoint meter very much when you're fighting a boss because typically you're you're taking out small pieces but your flashpoint meter is going to be constantly draining while you're shooting that boss and, and taking out you know large sections of it or what have you and so i'm not 100 percent sure how that works like i said whether it's the end stage level or whether it's trying to figure out whatever the maximum was that determines your bonus you get a hundred point bonus times the number of enemies that you've destroyed uh, so of course take out as many as you can because you're going to get that extra little bonus for for every one that's one of the things that i really loved about this game ashira the um second commander the first officer lady would talk about your performance on there and give you like wow these these fighting thunders are really impressive on there or if you end up as i mentioned earlier on the first stage if you end up missing some of the ground enemies I'm like, okay, you've got most of them, but please try harder, and then we'll send in the Panzer unit to take care of these on there. Did you, did you get the one where you didn't get any damage at all? Um, Yeah, th there were a couple of times, especially in the first stage, where I got a no-miss bonus. If you can take out every enemy, and then also no-miss on the boss where uh, you don't take any damage, then you get more of a bonus. Yeah, I, I got one of them where she ended up saying, wow, not a scratch on the ship, and you managed to do it incredible. Or something yeah. similar to that effect. And there, I definitely like that in there, and I, I think that probably if they had spaced out the story, maybe kept in like cutscenes during the beginning to give a bit of exposition, and then immediately cut into the, cut into the game, maybe like in-game cutscenes or something like that, and then flow that into the game and then give a little bit after the action for each stage or each each section of the stage then have them chime in and say wow you didn't you, you didn't miss any enemies and you did all this good job that probably would have been the perfect flow for this game what do you think yeah i think you're right um i i too appreciated that uh little bit of kind of customized dialogue if you will based on your performance it's a nice touch you know and it shows that moss is is paying attention and you know trying to tailor the experience and that and and uh you know i guess depending on your personality type you either see that as uh an insult of wow i guess i need to do better next time or you know just kind of a motivation to go back and and do better next time because 
yeah, I don't want to get that lousy result of them saying, well, try harder. You know, I want to make sure that they say, hey, great job. Again, for, for someone who's a bit more of a casual player to, to see that and then go in and maybe get the, hey, try harder next time. We're going to have to send the Panzer Division to clean up or whatever it is. And then, and then after four or five attempts, take out everything and go back and, and see the result of, hey, great job. You know, you got everything and kind of have that nice little, oh, yeah, I did get everything, didn't I? And uh, just that little extra bit of motivation. I, that was kind of nice. But yeah, I, I think having them include some kind of a cutscene or something like that, that would then similarly be tailored to your experience in the game. You know, oh, you didn't get all the enemies. Uh, you know, we're going to have to send in the cleanup crew. Uh, maybe try harder next time to make sure that nothing else gets through. You know, that, that would have kind of been a neat... Um, a neat deal that would kind of give you a little bit different experience maybe every time. Now, speaking of the experience on here, I've overall found the look of the game to be great. The only, one of the only things I had a little bit of trouble of is, is it seemed to be a little bit jarring when they zoomed in. I like the effect, but some of the stuff was you sort of, to give me an idea, those of you who have been watching maybe some of the older games, the full motion video <clears throat> shooters, where they zoom in and it can look a little bit pixelated, it just seems a little bit off when they're doing this. It doesn't do it much. It's, it's just a minor complaint. Overall, the game looked really good graphically. And I enjoyed it. What were your opinion on this? Yeah, you know, going back and, and looking at Raiden 4 again to compare, one of the things that's interesting is all of the Raiden games up to this point have generally been very slow-paced. Your craft always flies relatively slow in, a, in terms of forward motion, and so you're seeing the landscape and it's there, but it, you're always moving slowly over that landscape. Raiden 5 is the first game uh, in the mainline series to where it uses varying speed. And so some of the terrain doesn't look all that detailed, but that's because it's whizzing past uh, as you're flying through. Like in the first stage, uh, you know, a lot of that terrain that you're seeing, the farmland and all of that, that is kind of beneath you on the ground, it whizzes by really fast. And so it's not super detailed, but then there are areas where you slow down, for example, in the area where that soul tower is, or like there's the highways and stuff where some of the tanks and turrets are at, and uh, where that supercar, the red supercar rolls by, where you slow down and then you get much more detail. I think compared to, say, Raiden 4, like I mentioned, uh, the detail level is probably as good, if not maybe slightly better, in Raiden 5 for those areas where it's slowed down. In the faster areas, the detail obviously isn't going to be something you can look at because it's all moving by so quickly. But I think they did a pretty good job of, of making it appear as though your ship was really moving fast through those areas. And a lot of times, those were the portions where they would uh, either zoom in really close or sometimes zoom out a little bit because there was going to be a a fair barrage of enemies coming, and so that would give you more opportunity to kind of weave through bullets and things like that. And yeah, I did notice that too when, uh, like at the end of the stage, when the ship would fly up and it'd be not necessarily a cutscene, but, you know, just that little bit where the ship would, after the boss was destroyed, kind of fly off and then 
kind of come up toward the the screen and zoom in, you know, extreme close-up style uh, into the screen. It when it was right there in your face, it looked a little bit low poly, uh, but overall, outside of that, I thought it really looked good. One thing that I was that I really liked in the game is the explosion effects, especially when the bosses are destroyed. Just really impressive explosions and very cool like flame effects and things like that that happened during those big impressive explosions. Yeah, one of the things that I definitely have to give this game credit for is d- during all of the stuff that's going on during it stays smooth. You don't get that Gradius 3 slowdown. In fact, I don't think I saw any slowdown at all during this entire game. No matter what's going on, the game seems to be constant. have a constant FPS on this. Yeah. Now, I didn't notice any slowdown. What I did notice was some graphical corruption that would happen from time to time. Uh, and I don't know if this was something specific to my TV or... Uh, just something with the game, but there were some weird times when, especially early in the month when I was playing the game, I would have a weird effect where when the ship would transition from one scene to the next, uh, let's say like in the first stage, and there'd be the cityscape off in the background, in the in the scene clear dialogue when it would show kind of behind the ship and show the city off in the background, y- you would have this this uh, solid blue or solid yellow thing happening where part of the screen would kind of be corrupted with this solid color deal. And then when you'd swing back down to be your overhead view again, the ground would be either all blue or all yellow or, or some kind of weird flashing combination. And it was a little bit jarring. Usually it cleared up in short order, but um, it was a really weird issue. Did you see that or experience that at all? No, I can't say that. That does sound pretty strange on there. Huh. So it might have oh. just been my TV then. Was there anything that stood out? You mentioned the explosions on there. Was there any of the bosses graphically that stood out for you on there? Did you like the one for the... I, it's right after you come out in space. I'm trying to think of what stage that is. The big satellite enemy right as soon as you're fight, fighting through the asteroid belt. Yeah, the satellite's impressive. Even though it's kind of easy, I like the first boss, uh, just because it's like a giant craft that you're picking off the different cannons and turrets. It's just kind of a neat uh, set piece. That's similar to um, the uh, true end boss on there. I'm not sure if you had a chance to play through and get all your weapons power up and see that true end boss. He's, he, the pieces in that seem to, sl- to slide... They, start picking apart and they slide out into different spots and they they come at different angles and try and attack you a little bit similar to the way that the stage five boss does the one with the three three tanks or trains yeah yeah i did um i did not make uh it all the way through the game on a single life but i did credit feed my way through the game a couple of times just to kind of get a better idea of the full flow and also to power up the weapons so that I could see and face the true last boss. And uh, definitely uh, an interesting fight uh, and one that would most definitely pose quite a challenge um, should I ever get good enough at the game to reach that far on a single single credit would be a formidable, formidable challenge. Yeah, it's definitely something that adds a little bit more challenge in the mix when you have to have all of the weapons powered up to 10. Uh, I'm sure they did that for replayability and to make sure that people aren't going to 
play through it in a day or so and be done with it. All these type of decisions are based upon the fact that this is their first straight-to-home console. It's not coming to the arcade, and I can understand why they did it. Yeah, I think you're right, and that that is a, a good way of helping to provide some level of replayability. Now that we've had a chance to fully go through the graphics of the game, let's take a look at the sound. I really, at first I was a little bit hesitant and I perform more of the stuff that you get commonly these days, such as you you get the heavy metal or you get the synth sound. But this soundtrack, the more and more I listened to it, the more it won me over here. As you mentioned on here and I mentioned too, it wasn't from the original composer of Raiden 1 through 3, it was a new composer, and I have to say, as, as much as I love Gallantry, and I really do, it's one of my favorite um, shoot 'em up songs, this really has a great soundtrack. What do you think? Like I said, the, the first time I played through the game, which was several months ago, I was kind of, I, I don't want to say indifferent, but I was, I guess, ambivalent about the soundtrack. But then I wasn't really focusing on the music at that time. I was just kind of playing for survival, trying to figure out what the game was and and kind of uh, just kind of get through it. But as we started to focus on the game this month and I was playing through it, I, I really noticed the, the shift in style from uh, Raiden 3 and Raiden 4 kind of having more of an electronic soundtrack with elements of rock in there. Raiden 4 uh, kind of moved slightly more in uh, electronic music with elements of heavy metal in it, you know, with a little bit more guitar work or whatever. This Raiden 5 soundtrack really kind of takes that rock element or that heavy metal element and fuses it with more of a classical music, orchestral type of, of approach. But then as the game goes on, you get less of that rock feel and more of that orchestral, big, classical kind of epic score uh, feel to it. And I think it really works well. I especially like how each level has a, a different kind of feel to it. Raiden 3 and 4, I really like the music of those two games, but some some people say that they call too heavily upon Raiden 1 and 2 for some of the themes and you know they end up just being kind of remixes of earlier songs whereas Raiden 5's composition is wholly original uh, I can't think of any of the music in the game that is a callback to any of the previous games and I think that works as a home console title and also because of the inclusion of all the story elements and all of that that it has a much more epic feel and scope in the soundtrack itself I also like how the stage eight music you're in space and uh you're also in uh no you're on the you're on the alien planet i think and it's very ominous it it it's a callback to the first level music but instead of that high energy uh heavy metal and orchestral kind of thing that you had in the first stage which has been stuck in my head for weeks now um you get a reprise of that but with kind of a, a vocal choir doing some of the melody and much more of a uh, understated, subtle, ominous feel. I can't remember the name of the track, but there's a particular track in the Castlevania Symphony of the Night soundtrack that has a vocal choir 
and kind of a pipe organ and and it's real subtle and understated and beautiful and the stage eight music in Raiden five really reminded me of that and kind of evoked a similar response in me i guess as a big music fan i really appreciated the direction that they took the music in this game and especially having the playstation 4 director's cut with that soundtrack cd included this is definitely one that uh, i'm going to make sure is ripped to my computer and copied to my phone so i can listen to it in the car because i have spent a lot of time jamming the raiden 4 soundtrack since the 360 version came with the cd i'll be jamming this one as well yeah just talking about some of the thoughts on the forum i really like golems in that it gives it sort of gameplay the combination of the zoom effect the music and the length of stage as long gives it an epic feel it does feel a little bit more like a uh what you'd see in a summer blockbuster when everything comes together on here with the with the as you mentioned with the stage eight music that very omnipresent and like like only you can save the world. Let's get in there and well, not necessarily shoot the core, but let's let's get in there. We have to defeat the crystals and take everything down. You're our only hope. <laughs> it does a very well, very well job of scoring the moments and tying in with it. I would definitely. I guess I'm thinking is if they made right in the move, right in five the movie, I would probably go see it. Yeah, especially if the music was uh, either pulled from the game or uh, some of the same themes were used, because really, it's it's a great score. Now, speaking of the, the score and some of the sound effects, there the sound effects for me worked great. The explosions sounded good. They weren't too loud and overbearing. You could definitely hear where things were coming from. Once you turn the voices off, it made things a lot easier to hear. And through there, the uh, blazers and the plasmas and shots, everything sounded exactly like I would expect it to, or exactly like I would have in my mind. Yeah, and one thing about the, the shot sound effect that I appreciate with Raiden 5 is, you know, as you know, some early shoot 'em ups, uh, arcade games, 8-bit games, and even a handful of the 16-bit shoot-'em-ups, sometimes the shot sound effect is too pronounced or it's too loud in the mix. Raiden 5 is... You could say that it's too low in the mix, but I appreciate the fact that it's not overbearing so that you get a nice combination of effects. You get explosion sounds, you get uh, sound effects for things like when the the Mikloos is revealed or metal pickups and things like that. They're, they're nice effects, but they're all they're almost all subtle enough that none of them are overpowering. Yeah, nothing stands out too much, which is really good for making everything feel cohesive as a whole. Yeah, the one exception I would say to that is perhaps the the cheer sound. You know, you get a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a sound when you when the there's a cheer the pop of notification, but when you hit the button to cheer someone, it's a little bit more of a, a loud, jarring sound compared to most of the other sound effects. It f- sounds a little bit out of place. It makes sense, I guess, in a way, because it's not an element that's native to the action on screen, so to speak. Um, but it is maybe the one sound effect that I would say is a little bit too prominent. 
I guess looking at Raiden 5 as a whole, what would you say are your impressions of the game, kind of looking back after playing it for the whole month? You know, I would have to say that definitely ranks is probably a B plus, A minus game for me. It's the pieces work well as a whole. It's something that I would definitely enjoy replaying over and over again. In fact, have. And it's not something that I feel, even if I were to go back a year later, is going to wear out its welcome. There's a couple pieces that just don't work as well as it should be. But for a first-time effort on a home system, it's definitely a great one. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Raiden 5, whether it comes from Bandai Namco or whether it's another title from Moss. Oh, right, if they do a sequel. Yeah, it's one of those things that it's well enough that it should get a sequel. I'm hoping it does, but judging by how quickly it dropped in price, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. You know, that was one of the things that, that, you know, we kind of had some discussion on the forum about is through the whole month that I've been playing, most of the time when I play, I'm cheering other people on and they're cheering me and I'm getting, you know, a fair bit of cheer notifications. Uh, I guess it was earlier this last week when I was playing through and instead of doing a, a single life play, I was just credit feeding to get through the game and see the whole thing and do the true last boss and all that. And I think through the course of the game, I received over a hundred cheers from other players. And I would imagine I probably cheered well over a hundred times in the course of, of playing the game. So there's still, there's still an active uh, contingent of people that are playing this game and, you know, getting getting high scores and, and getting on the leaderboard. So I'm hoping that uh, UFO, who ported the or who published the game here in, in the West, and Moss, or Bandai Namco, which, as you mentioned before, I might own the license right now. I'm not 100% clear on that, but I'm hoping that whoever whoever is uh, looking at this now can see or get some of those analytics and statistics from Sony and Microsoft and Steam or, you know, Valve from Steam and, and see that they're still, you know, well after a year or more than a year after the director's cut released, that there's still an active community of people still playing this game and so yeah like i'm hoping that even with the price drop that it's sold enough that that they feel like there's reason to do a sequel for me i mentioned before that um when i first played the game several months ago it didn't really stick with me you know it didn't make as big of an impression on me so I think this is one of those games that you really, instead of just credit feeding through it and putting it back on the shelf, you really need to devote some time to it. Because once I dove back into the game and I started to play for score, I started to play to try and get as far as I could on a single credit or a single life, and I started to pay more attention to the scoring mechanics, the power-up differences in mechanics, the differences in the ships and learning the level layouts, and then also immersing myself in the music and just the whole experience, the game really started to open up for me. I found a lot to like, and it's it's hard to say, you know, I've always been very fond of Raiden 2, and I really came to like Raiden 4 over the last couple of years, but Raiden 5 has really grabbed a hold of me. 
you know, I'm actually a little sad that, uh, that uh, we've played it for the whole month and it feels like maybe I should, you know, put it away in favor of, of the, the subsequent month's game. But at the same time, part of me feels like, well, I should just keep playing this also so I can just keep improving and keep getting better because I'm still enjoying myself. And even though there have been some times playing this last month where I've kind of got frustrated and maybe quit uh, because I was being a little bit hard on myself in terms of, of feeling like I, I should be doing better, I always kept going back to it. You know, the next night when I got home from work or, or when I had some time in the evening or whatever, I would boot it up and I'd go right back to it and just keep playing and keep playing. And and uh, I found myself doing that even today, you know, earlier this evening before we, we started recording. Uh, I went back and I got a couple of games in and, uh, you know, just still trying to uh, improve and score and do better. And and so this game really, once I once I put a little bit of time into it and really dug in, it got its hooks in me. Yeah, I would definitely have to say that it's more what I would call a gateway game. There's If you've got someone who is unfamiliar or know, knows basics about what shooting ups are, they could have fun playing this game. But if you want to go in for that further depth, you definitely can. It has a very good mix, and it's not going to quickly turn off something. someone like... Gradius is great. I love Gradius, and I love the series. But it can be daunting for a newcomer to try and get in and understand how all that works. This is something you, you can stick in front of somebody they can play for 5 or 10 minutes. They'll have a good time with it. And maybe they want to go more, maybe they won't. But the fun factor is there immediately, and that's what I love about this game. Yeah. So we should probably uh, go ahead and share the high scores that were posted on the forum during the course of the month. And it looks like, once again, our uh, overall high score uh, player was Gollum, who handily reached 33,267,800 points. Uh, I was able to sneak in behind him, with uh, 22,250,850 points. Uh, and then you uh, came in with 14,574,800 points. So a very respectable effort there. A surprise entry here, Easy Racer came in at 10,721,200 points and uh, got that in uh, pretty short order. Uh, and so very impressive performance from him and then duke togo i don't know that he played the game as much he posted one score of uh, 1,068,000 points and uh i verified with him earlier that apparently that was his highest score that he achieved and so i don't know if he just didn't play as much or you know didn't find a groove with the game but well, uh i've seen the anime i know he's a busy guy so i mean duke togo may have not had as, as much time as he wanted to play the game yeah. And now in terms of um, some of the thoughts from the RFGen community, uh, I wanted to, uh, I guess, mention here uh, Pam from the forum. She mentioned a couple things. She said that uh, every time she beat a boss, she kept getting new achievements. And that was one of the things I noticed, too, is that uh, I think at this point I... I'm sitting somewhere at 30 or 35% of the achievements on, on the PlayStation version. She's the one who coined the the punching plasma there, and she said that uh, she hated the blue prism weapon, the reflect laser, 
She said, I was so upset when I accidentally grabbed the weapon power-up when it was blue. Um, and of course, you said that you liked it, and so it's interesting to see that contrasting opinion there. The prism definitely takes a lot of work to get right and to go through. That's one of those things where, you know, you just you just have to use the Dark Souls method in there. You just have to get good, or you've got to get going, and it's really hard to do. Yeah. Uh, she also mentioned that uh, this isn't her favorite shmup. Uh, she says it, it felt a little generic, and the levels kind of blended together without much visual distinction in environments or enemies. Um, yeah, th there are a lot of reuse of enemies throughout the game, but I do find that from level to level there's enough variation to where, you know, they don't all look the same. Yeah, it's not like it goes out to the fantastical like you would have with Gradius, where one moment you're flying through his sons, or and then the next part you're flying through a uh, field of Moai heads, and then you're feeling with a, I don't know what you want to call those bullets, but you're flying through with the little clouds that you have to destroy going through there. It's more of a grounded series, so you can't really... You're going to get a lot of going over grass and stuff on you. And it, to me, at least, it varied enough, but I could definitely understand where she's coming from and how that could... It could seem a little bit samey if you're playing through the, like that. If it, if it had a little bit more space scenes and was a little bit more of a space-themed shooter, I could definitely see them adding a little bit more fantastical variety. Yeah. Duke Togo mentioned that uh, he generally stuck to the default weapons, and he said he had a hard time uh, with the purple shot or the plasma weapons, that he liked the lock-on abilities, but apparently had a hard time seeing what was going on when it was firing. I noticed that myself when you use the default plasma weapon uh, that harkens back to the way that it was in Raiden 2, uh, especially when it's fully powered up, it does kind of obscure some of the action on screen, some of the enemy bullets a little bit. And so it does get a little bit harder to kind of tell what's going on, which is why something like the catch plasma or the homing plasma is maybe a better option in that sense. In in contrast to what Pam said, Gollum actually said that he didn't like that catch plasma or the punching plasma weapon. He, he thinks it makes the game harder to see, which I kind of understand. Uh, the one thing I, I like about that weapon, though, is the, the purple laser portion or plasma portion, even when the weapon is fully powered up, is still relatively thin. So when it's reaching out to catch the enemies as they're coming on screen, it's not obscuring your view too much. He, uh, he says uh, that a friend of his made an interesting observation about the blue prism. Uh, he said, normally for a laser weapon, there's no such thing as focus fire. It's all one stream of laser. So, of course, all of it hits your target. With the prism, however, it opens up the chance for focus fire by splintering the laser into multiple shots. If you can plant the prism inside a boss, then all four streams hit the boss and you get focus fire. I tried that. I couldn't, when you get inside the boss, you can't get focused because your laser ends up hitting the boss instead of the prism. So what you have to do is you have to put the prism right before the boss or right in front of it, then you split it. Yeah, and that was the thing that, that I was mentioning before is you really have to figure out how to point blanket so that you can get the, the reflect crystal 
just outside the boss so that as you're shooting the crystal, the lasers are going, as they're reflecting, are going directly into the boss. So you're effectively splitting that beam and hitting that boss with three or four uh, lasers, depending on how far you're powered up, so that you can do a lot more damage very quickly. Uh, it is a difficult weapon to wield. Yeah, it's like uh, riding a horse and trying to shoot a bow. Yeah. Uh, Duke Togo also mentioned that uh, when he played through it, his game ended at uh, stage six. And so I think that has to do with the, the stage ranking that you mentioned before, the S, A, B, and C. So he must have uh, he must have had lower rankings on those levels, and then the game ended early because his pathway through the game, because of the lower ranking, must have just ended sooner and not given him the ability to progress to the end of the game. That's a possibility. I haven't tried it on there. The uh, when I I tried the game on easy and I ended up getting the uh, bad ending, but then I tried the game on normal and got the good ending. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what gets the ending in there. And even after watching the 1CC video, the super duper ending just didn't appear to be that much better than what I got before. So it did the incentive, at least for me, wasn't there. It'll be something we'll have to go back and take a look at. Yeah. And uh, Easy Racer also mentioned that uh, he was wondering if there was a way to switch between weapons other than the power-up icons, and he says that, uh, while powerful, I feel like I'm defenseless when I have the blue weapon, but after looking at Pam's comment, I may not be the only one. So, yeah, I think the, the Reflect Laser is definitely, as I mentioned before, one of those weapons where it's fun to play with, but in order to really get the most out of it, you need to really practice with it and learn how to how to wield that thing most effectively so that you can take out big enemies and take out enemy groups and all of that and really much like the risk reward of knowing when to let up on the fire button so that you can collect metals it really is a risk reward scenario with the with the reflect laser of knowing where and when to throw out the crystal so that you can get the maximum benefit of that weapon. One of the other things I'd want to address is this first question. You can't change the power. The only way you can change the weapon that you currently have is with the power-ups. You can select the initial one when you start the game, but after that, you have to use the power-ups to change what weapon you have equipped. Exactly. Um, so final thoughts. Final thoughts. Again, it's definitely a game that I came to enjoy more as I played it. It doesn't make a grandiose entrance or is something that's going to catch you, especially if you quarter feed your way through it. It's something that is going to give you a little, little bit more the more time that you spend with it, at least for me. Did Well, how about you? Yeah, I really feel like the game pays dividends by putting the time into it, learning the, the levels, the layouts the weapon systems, the scoring mechanics, etc. Uh, it really does give you more and more as you peel back the layers of uh, you know the different complexities within the game. And especially right now, because the game is so inexpensive, both on Steam and especially the PlayStation 4 version with the included soundtrack. Yeah, with the PlayStation 4 version, it's currently from GameStop, 15 bucks. At that yeah. price, definitely pick it up. Yeah, I, I can't recommend this game enough to shoot 'em up fans in general. 
So what have we got coming next in September here? So for the month of September, we're doing something a little bit different. Um, I've chosen the uh, Japanese doujin game, uh, doujin being kind of a blanket term for indie titles uh, in Japan, and it is a boss rush shoot 'em up called Warning Forever. It's vertically oriented. It doesn't scroll in the strictest sense. It is essentially uh, a single screen game, but the game starts with kind of a small boss uh, enemy that you have to defeat. And if you can defeat that enemy in the allotted time, then you move on to the next stage where you get a more complex boss enemy. And each one of these boss enemies have multiple body segments, turrets, cannons, lasers, etc. that you can pick off. And so it's a, a kind of a risk-reward deal between making sure that you're not running out of time on the counter, but also maximizing your score. So it's a kind of a neat dynamic. It uses a kind of a throwback graphic style. It makes it look a little bit like an early 80s vector graphic style game. Uh, but it uses raster effects for lasers and explosions and bullets and some of the other elements. And so it kind of has that look, but not 100%. I think it's a neat looking game. Uh, it's an interesting little title. It came out originally in 2003. And um, the developer Hickware has made it freeware all these years and so they've just kind of slowly iterated on it over the years and the most recent release was in 2012. It's free to download. There are links on the forum in the uh, announcement page that was on the, the front page of rfgeneration.com and then also in the community forums. The page for the uh, September game, Warning Forever, has links to download the game and to the Hickware website where you can go and check that out. Yeah, it really, at least with initial impressions, the graphic style reminds me a lot of Geometry Wars. Yeah, it's very much a, in a similar vein. One of the other things i like to mention, and give a little bit of a cheat and look ahead here, is we want to look ahead to our October game. We know that people are going to be busy, and we know that things are going to pick up. So we want to go with something that everyone's going to have and everyone can play, and that game will be 1942. So look forward to that coming in October. Yeah, and uh, of course there are multiple versions of that as well. The NES conversion, there are several compilations that have uh, arcade conversions of 1942 and even some uh, microcomputer versions. I'm looking forward to hearing that whistle over and over and over again. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's the show for you today, folks. Um, want to make sure once again to tell you to check out rfgeneration.com. Make sure you check out the other community playthrough that uh, Single Banana and Grey Ghost 81 do. And then, of course, the RF Generation Playcast that they host to talk about that playthrough. Great podcast. Make sure you check that out as well. Um, we are now on the Google Play and also Apple Podcasts. So we would very much appreciate if you would subscribe to us on either of those services and if you would be so kind, even maybe go in and uh, give us a review and rate the podcast. We would definitely love to see that. It helps to spread the word and uh, make sure that the podcast is out there and, and is seen. 
Also, we have an official Twitter account for the podcast now. It is at ShootCoreCast, at ShootCoreCast on Twitter. We're both going to be dealing with that, and so we'll uh, we'll have content that we'll be able to post, and we'll be posting links to the to the podcast and also to the the game announcements and things like that. Uh, and so, hopefully, for those of you who start to kind of listen and and inter- interact with us on Twitter, we can start to kind of talk with you about the games as we're playing them, and maybe share screenshots and talk strategies and some of that stuff with all of you on Twitter, as well as on the forums. Uh, if you want to follow me directly, you can uh, reach me on Twitter at either at MetalFro or at GameBoyGuru. And of course, you can always go and uh, find me, MetalFro, and Addicted on the RF Generation forums. Talk to us in the, the thread for the games as we play them. And, uh, you know, let's just have a good time and play these games and and uh, just enjoy the, the genre of shoot 'em ups Anything else you want to add? No, thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening, and until next month, keep blasting. <laughs>